Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Killar jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are half super stoked that they were right about Brady Shea last week and half really pissed because they got Brady Shea themselves. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrovsky, and I am very excited for this show today because Brian and I have curated the perfect list of all the important fantasy news. After you listen to this show, there's no way you're going to lose next week. If there's two people listening that are playing each other, Probably one of you is going to lose. But aside from that, it's going to be all winners listening. I'm super excited. And with me to break it all down is the fantasy hockey robot, the Poobah prognostication, the IVP MVP himself, the great Brian Com. Brian, how are you? Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Truthfully, I'm not good. I am like fired up angry for anybody who uh, watched it, who saw like our YouTube edition of this where sometimes we chat a little bit off script before the show started patrons saw it live i'm already rambling i there were several reasons that i lost this week and like this is fantasy hockey i know i've won for these reasons too and maybe i'll drop them through the show but i'm mad uh but i i couldn't as you said elon to console me i couldn't have lost to a better guy john reed uh our short shifts producer on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays on Twitch with Ben and Lewis. So uh, way to go, John. I think you've got this in the bag. There's still some some runway left here, but I'm pretty sure this matchup is just about over for me. So way to go. I hope all of your weeks, dear listeners, went better than mine. And if not, let's you and I both settle in together with, of course, Elon, and try and figure out how we can do better next time. Yeah. Uh, for the record, I lost in the cupful too, but I'm taking the mo- the moral victory of knowing that I added Brady Shea, and at least that was a strong add. Uh, but yeah, tier one of the cupful is very hard. But you know what? We're having a good time here. Uh, it's the holidays coming up, Brian. I, I mentioned I'm-, I'm drinking a beer while I record. I haven't done this. This is like 2016, Circa Keeping Carlson, when I used to drink a beer when recording the show. Uh, so we're-, we're getting back to our roots here, try to get back <laughs> in a winning record. Uh, another thing I'm hoping for is that people will actually be able to listen to this show because all weekend long, our podcast host, Megaphone, I'm calling them out, has been down. So people have been trouble downloading these shows. By the time you listen to this, I guess you somehow figured out a way to download it uh but yeah we're really sorry that you may have gotten the stream scheme specials from this past weekend late or if you got this episode late uh, we're doing our best we're we're emailing blue wire every you know five minutes being like what's going on can someone fix this for us please we need to get these shows out to our listeners so anyway tweeted us at keeping car we, we shared it with the patrons by the way the stream scheme stuff so at least we were because you know we have a way to upload audio to patreon so Another bonus perk, I guess, not to, not to use this as an uh, opportunity to advertise. So, Brian, let's get into it. But actually, before we do that, of course, DopperHockey.com is where the site that we are presented by, which is like the best fantasy site. I use it to prep the show. Frozen Tools is amazing. I say this every week because it's true, and we're super excited to be able to be affiliated with them. So definitely check it out for all your news and notes about fantasy hockey. But we got some for you, so let's get into it, Brian. We're going to start with some injuries here. Alex Barkov. 
just came back, and now he suffered a lower body injury uh, versus New Jersey on Saturday. Uh, here's a quote from a tweet I saw. It's believed that Barkov sustained the injury when Nico Hichir's stick hit him in the left knee in the final seconds of the first period. I've looked for updates today. I haven't seen any, but I'd be worried because Barkov slowly but surely is kind of becoming one of these players that gets injured a lot like every season he misses time and obviously yeah like it's a fluky thing that he's going to get hit by nico Hishir, but i don't know maybe he's like i don't want to speculate i don't even know what the injury is but i i'm just curious about him in general because he's kind of having a mess season right 22 points in 25 games that's a 72 point pace which would be his lowest since he broke out basically back in like 2016 uh it's I just worry if, like, maybe now is a good time to, like, offload him, Brian. So maybe just, like, obviously we can't speculate about the injury. I'm just telling you that I have a hunch that it's not going to be, like, a short-term thing. Uh, But even if it is, I wonder if now before any announcements happen uh, and based on the poor season so far, I'd like to just know if you, uh, like, think that this poor season so far, and when I say poor, obviously, by Alex Barkov's standards, I just want to know if that's, like, some unsustainable thing and he's for sure going to bounce back or if you're seeing reasons for concern and then with the injury on top of it, maybe it's a good time to, like, see if you can, like, offload this guy, get something back. It's a great question, Elon, and one, like, usually the question that leads off the show, I dig a little too deep on, and this time I wasn't gonna. I'm like, Alex Barkov, there's not a whole lot more to say here, except maybe the injury angle, but I don't know. The more I looked into it, I, the more I, I at least wanted to share, and we'll see if we really come out with anything new, but I at least think we have some interesting conversation pieces about Alex Barkov, starting with, as you mentioned, Elon, back in 2016-17, Barkov had a 72-point pace, his worst season, uh, like, in memory, basically. Since 2017-18, well, in that season, he had eight, an 80-point pace. Since 18-19, Barkov has been a 90-or-more-point pace player in three of his last four seasons, and the other one was still pretty much 80 points. Uh, but, as you mentioned, Elon Barkov has also missed 15 to 20 games in each of his last three seasons, and he's pacing to miss about the same number this year. So, yeah, you know, maybe Barkov is going from a rock-steady first-rounder to one of those guys who we sort of give that little flag that pushes them out of the top of the first round and into the the mushy middle. I mean, the miasma of mediocrity, as suggested, we call it by our patrons on our Discord server. Don't like the phrase mushy middle, so I'm test-driving miasma of mediocrity here. You know, like Barkov comes after the sure shots in the first, I don't know, we have about 10 picks or so of guys with like zero flags. And then there's a bunch of guys who are good, but say... uh, they have a flag or two, followed by guys who might not have a flag but have lower upside. So now Barkov moves to one of those second or third groups with this. Um, the one reason that it's just still one small flag is beyond injuries. I'm not really concerned about Barkov's play. Like for 82 games, I would still take Barkov. If I knew he was playing all 82, I'd take him in the first round without question. This year, any struggles Barkov is having uh, are being hampered by uh, a lower points participation rate at five on five than usual plus he's only shooting four and a half percent versus his usual 12 percent at five on five so you could almost triple the number of goals he scored so far when we regress him um the florida power play is also doing great by the way but i also wonder if they could do even better maybe barkov picks up a couple more points there and everything else looks good while barkov's on the ice which is a credit to him honestly given that two of barkov's three most common line mates from last year huberdeau and duclair they haven't suited up for the team this year one because they're injured the other because they're not on the team anymore so elon you're asking like what do you do about buying lower selling high on barkov so i'll throw one consideration out for you and that's that this is barkov's third time on the shelf this season he missed one game like randomly and uh he hasn't fully 
looked himself, though, since returning from a six-game absence due to what was uh, labeled an illness. It wasn't an injury. He was sick. But in the six games since Barkov missed six games with that illness, he has just eight shots in like four and a little bit of a game played, which is far off his usual three or three and a half shots per game. So had Barkov fully recovered from whatever illness he had? I don't know. And now he's got a knee thing that's different. I don't know what to make of it, except that it didn't look like he was healthy. But the fact that he wasn't actually injured before meant that, well, I don't know, maybe like a respiratory thing and he's not fully up to speed. It's a little concerning that we haven't seen Barkov return in full form since he came back from whatever reason he was out of the lineup. And now he's out of the lineup again, maybe longer. And we'll be looking to see whenever he's back from this, if he can get back up to full speed. So I would be watching that. If you're asking whether to buy low or sell high, I think uh, like I no, would I mean, I'm saying to sell low. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. you, you so, can't sell high on someone who's on a cold streak and injured. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could sell low, but all, all, all the stuff I was saying about how Barkov is still right. having a really good season, and if he's playing it 100%, I think he's he's like the world beater we've known him to be. It's just we haven't seen him play it 100%, and now there's two reasons, the knee and the illness, that could lead to him not getting up there. So maybe you do sell him off uh, before you get worse injury news. But I also, like, it's a strange, it's a funny situation because I could definitely rationalize either selling low or buying low on Barkov. Like, I I wouldn't mind taking a swing if I could trade, like, a Johnny Gaudreau for Barkov. I would do that. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that I could also see reasons to trade Barkov for Johnny Gaudreau. Maybe it depends on your standings currently. Like, maybe if you're in first place, even with Barkov and his injuries and his, like, slight struggles, which maybe, like Brian is saying, just be due to, like, a low, high, like, low, what was it, points participation or whatever it is. Then maybe, yeah, you hang on because if he gets better and you're already doing well, you do even better, right? Like, might as well take that risk. Maybe if you're doing badly, you kind of need to, like, jumpstart your team a little bit. You, you can't really afford to wait for this injury. And maybe it is a time to trade him for Johnny Gaudreau. And just like, you know, I did that uh, with my couple team. I traded Patrick Line when he was injured for Jeff Skinner. And I think time will still tell. Like, Skinner's been good and Line's been good. I One of my main reasons for wanting to trade Line was because he was injured and he'd already been injured before. And I'm kind of a little worried that maybe he'll get injured, like, yet again, you know? So... Uh, obviously we'll have to see with Barkov I'd have that concern as well anyways let me tell you the lines without Barkov after he left the game it was uh, Reinhardt with Verhagi and Eta Lusterainen and then Kachuk was playing with Bennett and Denisenko pre-game it was Lusterainen uh, with Kachuk and, and Denisenko was on line four so it was Lusterainen that sort of just like went up a line to play with Reinhardt and Verhagi which I guess now would if these lines stick like I, I, I don't know I'd consider that the second line I guess if Barkov's not there I assume the Matthew Kachuk line with Sam Bennett is the top line or maybe it's just too even lines anyways who knows like the lines could obviously change up like we'll have to check game day lines tomorrow but those are two guys i guess luster ryan and denisenko are the ones that might be available to you in free agency and so see if they're on a good line i don't know if, even if they are in a good line you might not be you might still not be interested but i just wanted to throw them out there but we do have a couple uh streaks that i wanted to ask you about since we're on the panthers here guys i mentioned we've got two sams both going in opposite directions okay sam reinhardt Red hot. Four goals in his last three games, including two goals on Saturday. Before that, he was on a cold streak, only one assist in five games. And overall, Reinhardt still on a pretty brutal, like 56-point pace for the season, way below where people were drafting him. So I'd be curious to get your take on which is the real Sam Reinhardt, this current hot streak, or the cold streak that preceded it. And then on the flip side, we have Sam Bennett, who's now pointless in five games, which is similar to how he started the year. He was amazing in the middle of the season, but now that amazing middle has been sandwiched by two very cold streaks. 
Uh, so I guess Brian, yeah, he was back. One nice thing for Bennett is he got on the top power play with Barkov out. So that's good. But yeah, the two Sams, I'm just curious to know, do you think that Sam Bennett's cold streak is something to be concerned about? Do you think Sam Reinhardt's hot streak is something that means he's back? What's your take on these guys? Okay, so Sam Reinhardt, I, I, I feel still pretty confident in this guy. I know he's had a, a rough go of it, and there was some talk of where he'd fall in the depth chart exactly. Um, but I think right now there's just some poor variants working against Reinhardt. His on-ice shooting percentage is lower than his Buffalo days, and we know that doesn't often happen to people <laughs> uh, after they exit or before they enter their Buffalo days, at least at the time that Reinhardt was on the team. Uh on-ice shooting percentage for everybody goes to crud as a saber. And uh, now that that's happening to Reinhardt in Florida, I think that's just a, a, a bad circumstance, a bad, like bad luck for him. He's also hasn't been as involved on the power play goals that have been scored this year, just a 44% IPP, uh, which is lower than we'd expect from Reinhardt there. Uh, one thing working against him that probably should be working against him though, is uh, I don't know if you knew Elon, but Sam Reinhardt has shot 40% on the power play for the last two seasons. Uh, he's not doing that anymore, and I think that's okay. So put all of that together, and I think Reinhardt is probably about a 65, 70-point player in his current situation, which is still a pretty valuable guy. And I still think that point-per-game upside is there when everything is working out exactly as, uh, as, it, as well as it could. As for Sam Bennett, he's also facing a bit of challenge at 5-on-5, five five, and both in zone shooting percentage just 6% shooting, 7% team shooting at 5-on-5. Five so that means that uh, the pace that Bennett's on uh, for five on five scoring could be a little higher, but also he is shooting a little less than he has in the past, which isn't great. I think uh, I think Bennett right now pacing, like I said, for just above 55 points, it seems seems right ish. Like I'd go I take the over, you know, maybe 55, 60 points. And Bennett's a streaky guy. We've seen him uh, be big at times and be uh, impossible to see. Like, that's how minuscule Sam Bennett can be. So, um, yeah, if I had to pick one Sam, of course, give me Reinhardt. I don't think that's a hot take. But I think both of them are are still solid, decent players. I, I don't think that's in question. But Reinhardt, point per game upside. Bennett, I'd cap his upside lower. Like, the upside is above 60 points where I think he's he's likely going to land. But, again, I, I'm, I'm less interested in Bennett than Reinhardt. Yeah, well, Bennett is so cold, and I'm so tempted to just be like, yeah, let him go. Like, But at the same time, we did that earlier in the year, or at least I did, and then he like really heated up, so now yeah. I'm afraid to tell people to drop him again. So I, I don't know. He definitely, like you said, right, he's streaky. So if you let him go, and if you're in a league where you think you can afford to let him go, and like people aren't going to like jump all over him, you know, like in a shallower league, like as soon as he scores like one goal in a game, like add him back, because that might be the start of a hot streak, you know? Uh, and then I guess since we're in Florida, we just do the whole show about Florida. But okay, one more thing. A Spencer Knight, this has been must be kind of a little frustrating if you have Spencer Knight in your leagues because he was taken off the IR. You weren't able to keep him in IR anymore. You had to drop someone to activate him, and he hasn't played yet. And this was like earlier in the week. Bobrovsky's played two straight games since Spencer Knight uh, came off the IR and was able to back him up. And you know what? Bobrovsky has been good recently somehow. Uh, that 4-2-29 save win over New Jersey on Saturday was his third quality start in a row. So all of a sudden, Sergei Bobrovsky picking up steam, which is obviously what the Panthers want 
from him. And we've seen this before with Bobrovsky where he'd be cold and then eventually he'd get rolling and then he'd end up uh, turning into a decent-ish goalie again. So I wonder if like he's won the net back or at the very least, maybe now we're back to 50-50. Like, I feel like this was a very unfortunate injury for Spencer Knight because with Bobrovsky playing well, I think the Panthers are very happy to keep him rolling. They're not going to want to now like bench Bobrovsky for another five games in a row like they were doing before uh, because, because Spencer Knight's playing well because maybe that they, they'll lose that spark that Bobrovsky has had. So, yeah, I, I don't know, Brian. I'm curious to get your take. And obviously with goalies, it's impossible to predict. So maybe this is more of a reporting and we shouldn't spend too much time trying to speculate. But I'd be nervous that we're looking at a 50-50, which of course in fantasy sometimes means neither is that valuable. Yeah, that that's the concern for both these guys. I don't know anyone can really run away with the net. For Bob's part, though, he's been really strong. His last three games, he stopped 87 of 92 shots, 946 save percentage, including 30 stops against New Jersey, best team in the league, arguably, and 35 stops on Pittsburgh, who has some pretty eyebrows, eyebrows. strong, strong <laughs> offensive players. You know, I think Florida would still happily lean on Bob if he can handle like two out of every three games and keep in mind Spencer Knight himself has yet to really string more than a couple decent games together either this season or last season so like he's still working out his consistency issues so I I don't think that he's ever totally in a position to take over if Bob is playing well which he is so yeah Elon I think uh, I think you might be looking at a short-term split but if one player based on the way things are going now, can pull away. Like, this is the Bob that Florida would have been happy to run with as a number one or 1A this year. So if he can hold on, keep performing, which, of course, we don't know if he can, so be ready for every opportunity. But then I I would say that Knight's workload shrinks. Yeah, well, so if you have Knight, it's tough because at one point we were saying on the podcast, like, Knight is the starter for sure and go get him in every league and drop Bobrovsky. And I think I don't feel bad about the advice to drop Bobrovsky because it's not like I've, I'm so confident now that that was a terrible mistake. But I do wonder if we're getting to a point where you have to consider not keeping Knight. I think at this point, they're probably going to play Spencer Knight at some point. They didn't take him off IR just to never play again. So maybe keep him for his next game, see how he well, does. They, also, they have to take him off of IR. Like, of well, course. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, like, like, even if he wasn't injured, they were going they're not gonna like now like sit him for like 10 games in a row after you know so no. I, I th- yeah yeah but i agree with you brian i don't know if anyone's even gonna pull away to be honest if i were to make a prediction i think we're gonna be looking at like 50 50 rest of the way uh but obviously it depends on if Bobrovsky can keep it up and that's impossible to predict uh let's go to our next injury here we're going to ottawa brian's hometown and where i was born so a place near and dear to our hearts. Uh, but unfortunately, they're having some bad luck. Tim Stutzla out at least a week with a shoulder injury that he sustained on Monday. So he joined Josh Norris on the shelf. So the team's down their top two centers. Uh, didn't hurt them that much yesterday in the game versus Detroit. But they did take a loss today to their former goalie, Philip Gustafsson, in the Minnesota Wild, 4-2. to two. Uh, We're recording this on Sunday, by the way, for when I'm saying words like yesterday and today. Uh, here were the lines. Or I guess I-, I wrote down here when I was prepping the lines from the Saturday game. But let me just bring it up really quickly. On frozen tools here. So the Lions versus Minnesota, Debrinkit, Batherson, and Shane Pinto, and then Derek Brassard with Claude Giroux and Brady Kachuk. So it's basically Shane Pinto and Derek Brassard getting those top six spots. Pinto's been there for a while, of course, with uh, Josh Norris injured, and then sometimes Brassard took a spot. Now they both get to be there. The thing is, like, neither of them are doing that much. I think Shane Pinto actually had a game. A couple games ago, he like had himself some sort of a, yeah. He had an assist versus Detroit. He scored a goal versus Montreal today versus Minnesota. Nothing. Derek Brassard. Uh, if anyone was able to listen to the stream scheme spectacular, where all the other guys on the show were saying that Derek Brassard is who you should pick up as the ludicrous streamer of the week, and I was cool on him. And maybe I, you know that's for next week, so I could definitely be wrong on this. But I was saying like I don't care that he's on a great line. I don't think he's very good. And so we'll see. So far. 
He's not looking very good, right? He's pointless in every game since these injuries. So it's not as if this increased deployment have helped. And maybe like he'll keep his spot on the roster just because I'm not exactly sure who would bu- who would bump Derek Broussard if the coach wants to like healthy scratch him. Are we looking at like Tyler Mott or or Austin Watson or Dylan Gambrell? I don't even know like who it would be, but I don't know. He's he's Eric Broussard. Uh, anyway. Are you into either of these guys? I'm going to assume no. I'm, I, and I could just skip through it like I did with Alusta Ryan and Denisenko. But let me know if you want to talk about these two. <laughs> yeah, no, Broussard can't keep up. Like, Ottawa wishes he could. He's a shell of who he was a few years ago, the last time he was in Ottawa. And, like, last time he's not, he's okay. But even then, he was, like, a shell of himself before that. Um, he hasn't gotten any better. So, but, like you said, Elon, the problem is there's nobody else there. But even so, I don't, like, I don't see an obvious replacement for Derek Brassard in the top six. And that still does not make me interested in rostering Derek Brassard in the top six. I just yeah. like, maybe he'll look him to a point. Like I'm looking at him for like a one game stream. If you're desperate, like as a deep cut, but otherwise, uh, you know, the sense wish Brassard could be a top six piece, but he can't as for Shane Pinto. Like I'm, I'm a little more into him because I, I think he has the potential to be useful there, but I think he still hasn't really figured out how to fit in, in that top six, there's a great piece on a blog, a little Sens blog I follow called Welcome to Your Carlson Years, uh, where they looked at the play style of Shane Pinto and Alex DeBrinkett and how they may or may not be meshing. Like DeBrink- it, it just wasn't working out really for either of them. And sort of described the, I, I, I encourage you to go check it out. Um, like they're just not a great fit. Pinto and Debrinket for each other, um, or at least they hadn't been up to that point. Things are clicking a little more lately, at least for Debrinket. So, like, I'm into Pinto ahead of Broussard for a stream, but I don't know that, you know, remember at the start of the season, are we going to see this guy explode? I don't think that's going to happen this season. Maybe a solid mid-six forward, Shane Pinto, and the upside is there for more, but I just don't know this season how much we can expect him to do. So Pinto's no more than a, a short-term stream for me. Yeah. Uh, I guess one thing with these two injuries is it finally makes that top power play on Ottawa just like all the good players get to be there that are healthy, right? Just Giroud, Dabrinkit, Kachuk, Batherson, and Shabbat. Top power Huge play. for their value, right? Yeah. Like these guys had to have a 45, 50% share of power play time, some of them, and now they can just roll a top unit. Yeah, and it's working, right? For some of them, especially like Drake Batherson, 11 points in his previous seven games after two goals on Saturday. That's not including today. I guess I should look. Ottawa scored two goals today against Minnesota. Batherson had an assist, so he keeps the streak going. He's hot. Alex Dabrinkit had three assists on Saturday, bringing him to 13 points in his previous eight games going into today. No points today. Five shots, though. So Dabrinkit is super hot. Batherson and Dabrinkit now sit at, uh, so I guess we've got 30 points for Dabrinkit, and we've got 29 points for Batherson now. Brian, if you had to pick between the two, who's going to end up with more goals? But they're both basically even in goals, and they're even in points. Yeah, and I, they, they get a lot of similar deployment, too. I'll take Dabrinkit, just because I think the, the upside for him is higher. But they, they both, honestly, even looking at their advanced stats quote unquote they look very similar like they take almost an identical uh amount of shot attempts per 60 minutes almost identical expected goals per 60 minutes and they both have had shooting percentage struggles uh drake shooting less than five percent to bring it shooting barely above four percent um and their on ice shooting percentages are both way down too so whatever we've seen from them up to this point has been frustrating for anyone rostering them but lately 
Things are coming on, and this is regression that we expected would come. Both look as strong as they've looked in seasons where we've believed in them and enjoyed all the production that Batherson and Dabrinkit have had to offer. Um, so it's a great question, Elon. I think it's going to be pretty close. But the bottom line here is this is not, in my opinion, a short-term surge for either guy. Like, this is them getting theirs finally after a frustrating season. Yeah, so congratulations to those two. Brian, can I make a request? I know that at one point, like a few years ago, you kind of came to the conclusion that you're going to use regression for both, like do like you know, getting better or getting worse. And I guess you found that's some. The, that's someone the statistically. That up. It's a statistically correct <laughs> sure. way to. But but yes, but I don't we like also it. Talked, okay, so I'll, I'll use progression. Yeah. Because when okay. I hear regression, I think it's like means they're going to get worse. What about so, re-regression? My, my soft, dumb brain. I need like a new word. A different well, it's word. like because you're regressing to the mean, right? Like mm-hmm. the mean is I your average. That. So you can regress to it from either side of that average. Yeah. But yeah, it I, I means you're progress you're, will help. Yeah. But okay. I, yeah. Just for the listeners also, they might be thinking like it's, it's, it's tricky if you're not a stats uh I don't know, graduate. Uh, okay, sticking on Ottawa right. now. For every team, we'll talk about injury, injury, and then goalies, it looks like. So uh, in Ottawa, so Cam Talbot, Brian, four straight wins now, and he's up to a 916 save percentage on the season. Uh, Anton Forsberg got the start today and the back-to-back. Not as good, right? He took a loss to, to a tough team, obviously, in Minnesota, but only 22 shots against, and he was only able to stop 19 of them. Uh, at this point... Could we just say that Talbot is the starter? I know like you've in the past, and I, you already said this on Discord, right? You, you said you've, you're coming around to just Talbot as the starter. I, I think it's clear, right? There's no reason to not to roster Forsberg. And I think you definitely want to roster Camp Talbot if you want a starting goalie in the NHL on a somewhat decent team. Like I added him in one league at a free agency a couple of weeks ago. And now I'm looking at him as potentially a season hold. And I feel like I added him in that same league before and I told you about it. And you were like, you're probably going to drop him at some point. And you were right. And I did. But now I've at this time, it's going to work. I'm, I'm feeling even more confident now that I'm going to hold him the rest of the year. Yeah, so I, I made a little mea culpa on our patrons-only Discord server. By the way, keepingcarlson.com slash patron if any of that stuff is sounded in. Or if you just want to support the show, if you like yeah. what we're doing. I, I have a lot of fun on the Discord. I like our community. It's a lot of fun people. They are our best friends, which is... Uh, yeah. Sad about us. Well, I was going to say, but, but they're amazing people. I was going to... Anyway. We, yeah, it would be really, nice if I had friends that I actually hang out with right, in like person. IRL. But, yeah. yeah. Which sometimes we do with the patrons, which is even... Anyway. Um, <laughs> it's great. You could be one. Uh, join us. But I, I did my mea culpa on Discord saying, you know, Elon, it looks like Ottawa does want Talbot to run away with it and, 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 and do something. Be the guy. And that they don't seem to be giving Forsberg as many opportunities at this point. And Talbot is doing well. The thing is, like, he's still prone to collapse and struggle. So we'll see what happens then. But so far, you know, I... I didn't think that the organization was going to really favor one guy or the other. And I'm starting to see that I think they are favoring Cam Talbot, even though Elon Cam Talbot is playing at about his expected Fenwick save percentage. And Anton Forsberg is playing uh, a fair amount, not a great amount, but a fair amount above his at five on five. So Forsberg uh, has actually been the better goalie and has had worse protection in front of him. But uh, again, if you're looking for a starter, I think the Sens have one, and I think his name is Cam Talbot for now. Yeah, and when you say he's, like, prone to, like, fall apart, like, you know, this is the 2022 NHL. Like, every goalie seems lately is, is prone to, you know, have a cold streak. So no no one's immune. Even Vasilevsky had a tough stretch earlier in the season. Uh, let's go to the Penguins now. So they're banged up, as per usual. This happens every year to them. Uh, right now, it's Jeff Petrie, who's on the LTIR. I feel like, Brian, uh, so I was like thinking, like, damn, that sucks for people who have Jeff Petrie. He's been having a really good season. 
Like I, I don't know. I've just had this in my head. I think I haven't actually like looked at his numbers. He does. He's not having such a great season, right? He has twelve points in twenty eight games. That's like a thirty ish point pace. He's shooting less than last year. I don't know. Like poor Salt in his wound. Now he's like injured long term, and now I'm like talking badly about him. But like I don't even like. Why did I think he was good? Like I guess Latang like had this stroke, and then Petrie got on the top power place. So it was like everyone rush and get Petrie. But even with that, like. uh and now Latang's back and doing great. And I don't know. I, I like it's a, obviously if you have Petrie, you can just put him in your IR, like no big deal. But I'm just curious, like why I thought he was good. I'm, I'm, I'm getting one of those. Well, what's the thing called again? When the reality isn't what you thought it was the Bernstein bears effect. Oh, the Mandela effect. Mandela effect. I'm having that with Jeff Petrie. I don't know why I thought he was having a great season. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jeff Petrie had a horrible start to his season. Four points in his first 12 games. Not many peripherals to speak of since then though. He's been doing okay. In his last 16 games, Petrie's been a half-point-per-game player thanks to three power play points, which, as you mentioned, some came thanks to Chris Letang being out of the lineup. But I agree with you, Elon. Uh, Petrie's still shooting only... He's still only taking one and a half shots per game, which is a drop from last year, which was a drop from the year before. Um, So it it hasn't been a great year. Like, Petrie looks like a 40-point player with not many peripherals to contribute. Maybe he finishes, you know, at 45 points somehow. Maybe he finishes at 35 points somehow. Either way, not a a terribly exciting option, Elon. I actually have him uh, burning a hole in my roster because my four IR spots in the cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, KKUBFL.com. All my IR spots are full, and I actually asked you, who would you drop first between Couturier and Atkinson? And now I'm starting to think, well, maybe I just drop Jeff Petrie. Like, I don't even know that I care so much about having him when he comes back because he's not yeah. he's not he's not exciting. Yeah. But I mean, I guess in the cupful, at least you get points for the blocks. So there's a little but bit the, of a but there aren't there. even that many blocks. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think I might be able to find higher floor guys in free agency. I mean, I'd rather maybe. keep him. So I'm so I'm, I'm still waiting on Cam Atkinson to, to show up as we thought he would, and then he hasn't. Um, but in the meantime... I saw you like, tweeted at a Philadelphia beat writer. No answer. Like, <laughs> I didn't get an answer. Try a different one. Try Charlie O'Connor. I or should try Charlie. No, Charlie's I, the best. No, no I, well, Charlie hasn't been tweeting so much about Cam Atkinson, but yeah, well, I will. Knows. Yeah, Charlie well, knows. If someone knows, he knows, probably. Yeah, I'm going to get to a lot of defensemen that I feel like people need to sort of update their feelings about in this episode. Like, as a little tease, I'm going to want to talk to you about Hampus Lindholm at some point, Ivan Provorov. Um, yeah, anyway, so we're going to talk about some defensemen, and then for each one, you'll tell me if you'd rather them or Brady Shea. So far, I would take Brady Shea over uh, Jeff Petrie. At the very, but obviously, Petrie's injured, so it doesn't really count. Uh, also, Jason Zucker is injured on Pittsburgh. He's week to week with a lower body injury. Definitely another guy you can't depend on for games played. Not like you even drafted him. He was probably a free agent ad for most people. But yeah, like Barkov, Zucker's looking like a guy who just like misses time every year. So that's a shame. Uh, anyways, with him out, that opens up that spot on the line with Malkin and Rust. And Danton Heinen has been the one on that line. And he hasn't been doing anything. So I can just add him to the list of kind of like no-name players, like in good spots that probably you don't want to add. Today, Pittsburgh lost 3-2 to to Carolina. Once again, Danton Heinen, no points. Uh, Side note, Brady Shea, one goal, one assist today uh, in that game. Uh, So yeah, I don't even need to ask you about Danton Heinen. Uh, And then Malkin was looking injured, but turns out he's not injured. So we don't have to talk about him. He even had a power play assist today. So I think that covers the Pittsburgh Penguins, unless you have any final thoughts. Okay. Well, I was going to toss in just a little Brian Rust 
mentioned he was coming into today on a three-game point streak, but put in a cardio sesh today, which means no goals, no assists, no shots, no hits, no nothing. Nothing that have couldn't could have gotten you a fantasy point in any scoring method. So, uh, like, not awesome. Um, he's still not on the top power play and still not shooting a lot. So I, I don't know. This is this is your this is this week's edition of Rust Watch. Yeah, he was also minus one. Yeah. Had a giveaway. <laughs> I'm seeing <laughs> not a good game. Okay, let's go to Tampa Bay now. So Mikhail Sergachev is day to day with an upper body injury. He's missed two games so far. He was hot as ever before getting hurt. Four points in his previous three games, even though he was bumped from that top power play. But he so I don't know how you know how long his injury is going to be. He might be back soon. He's just day to day, like I said. But in the meantime, and we've talked about him a lot also, just like Brian Russ, Victor Hedman. Back on the top power play, had a power play assist on Saturday versus Montreal. Hedman now has five points in his last three games. I feel dumb, Brian. Like, I feel like there was an episode of the podcast where I fell into the trap. Like, we were like, I was like doubting Hedman. I was saying, like, maybe this is the year finally when it's over. He was like not getting points. He was bumped off the top power play. Lewis offered me Hedman for my Chris Letang. And I was like, eh, I don't think so. I'd rather have the guy on the top power play. I, I, I guess to wait, wait and see if that turned out to be smart or not. But uh, yeah, like he's, I don't know, he's back to being good again. He's Victor Hedman. Like we, I probably should have given him a longer leash and assumed he would get back on the top power play. But of course now Sergeyev's injured. But like I said, he took the top power play before Sergeyev got injured. So what do you think, Brian? Were, was I dumb? Were we dumb to doubt Hedman? Or is it like the opposite? Like now's like your big sell high opportunity. Go to all the people who are like regretting doubting him and be like you could still get him so what do you think of this recent uh, resurgence you're being well you're i think you're being hard on yourself by saying like i should i should have known i shouldn't have written off victor Hedman. we we had no info none and i get i tweeted beat writers on this too and we ended up getting some great feedback from a listener i think it was michael forgive me if i've got the name wrong but that's all we got. It was like, a, a, again, like you'd think such a big coaching decision would come with a little more context, and it didn't. Um, it's been impossible to predict what's supposed to happen in Tampa with that top power play. We ne- we still haven't gotten any meaningful insight from uh, TB co- Tampa coaches or the Beats. So um, I don't think you were dumb to write him off. I don't think anyone. Okay, well, it's okay. I, I don't need, like, uh, when I ask nah. a question like that, because I think I have another, was I dumb <laughs> later on in the show? Like, I don't need you to tell me I wasn't okay. dumb. I'm, I'm mainly I'll, just asking what do you think is going to happen now? <laughs> okay, uh, well, I don't know. That's that's Fair. it. Like I, I'm. So, that's what I'm getting at too. I, I I know you know you're you're not dumb. But like the idea is we we never got a reason why it changed. We haven't gotten a reason why it changed back, and we don't know if it's going to change again. So I think you're just living in this like uncomfortable moment with Hedman and Sergachev, especially with Hedman, where um you are a little worried. So if I had Hedman, I'd be looking to sell because I just don't want to go through that again. Like he was. Would you offer him for Latang like Lewis did before? Yeah, I would. Oh, okay. Yeah, Latang's starting to look better. One assist today on the power play. Okay, so that's Headman Watch. Not like I agree with you. Like it's it's really hard to say. Uh, Vasilevsky I mentioned before, like Headman, has been great. Like uh, after a coldish start to the season, Vasilevsky's up to now six quality starts and five wins in his last six games. So basically every game he's been money. He's up to a nine fifteen save percentage. 
which is like pretty good considering where he was like a month into the year. So, I mean, there's a reason why we have Vasilevsky at the top of Schmore goalies board. He's one of those rare goalies where when he, even if he struggles, you don't have to worry that he's like, oh, is he not going to be able to bounce back? He, he always does. Great team, and he's obviously a really great goalie. So good for him. Uh, I guess since I'm giving flowers to guys, that, you know, there's nothing really for you to do as a listener because he's obviously rostered by someone very happy with him. Nikita Kucherov has now had three straight multi-point games. He's on a seven-game point streak. Kucherov is now pacing for 128 points on the year, uh, which would match his Art Ross winning 2018-19 season where he had 128 points. So it's just another banner season for Kucherov. Of course, this year, that's not going to be enough to win the Art Ross. He's actually currently 15 points behind Connor McDavid, even though he's pacing for 128. So, uh, but of course, while you probably can't get Kucherov unless you already have him, uh, you may still be able to get his line mate at even strength on, and on the power plane, Brandon Hagel, only around 30% rostered on Yahoo. When we did our stream scheme special, he was at 25%. He's gone up since then. And, and why not? He's had two straight two goal, one assist games. Hagel is up to 26 points in 30 games on the season. That's a 71 point pace and climbing. So first of all, I think this is obvious, Brian, but tell me if you agree. This is a pause the pod to add Brandon Hagel in pretty much all formats. If you can, right? Like top line, top power play, playing with Kucherov, scorching hot, like, how could you not want him? Like, I'd, I'd want people to tweet at us and let us know who, who they have on their team that they're keeping ahead of Brandon Hagel. But do you concur that this could be our pause the pod moment of the night? This is our pause the pod moment of the <laughs> Should night. Should we get that sponsored? Should we have, like, a, a stinger, <laughs> like, some music? I'm like, and here is your Rogers pause it? the pod moment. <laughs> or, like, a, a pet food company sure like like a pause the pod and we have a little like um yeah can i throw something out there actually speaking of advertisements can i do like a shameless shilling for a sec yeah so you know that site game day tweets that i made yeah and then people so good so yeah we like shams and i retweet things mainly shams uh who's amazing thanks so much shams who's here live with us and then they like automatically get populated on the site and you get to see all the line combinations and start goes anyways it's a cool site like, if someone wanted to, like, have an ad, like, I don't want to use Google AdSense or whatever, right? But if someone wanted to put an ad on that site, like, a, you know, that's not too obtrusive, like, whatever, we could talk about it. Like, I'm open to, like, putting an ad on that site for a reasonable price. So, just throwing it out there. Then Shams and I could share the money. So, okay. That, and Brian could have could have a piece. But, okay. So, anyways, where were we talking about again? Oh, yeah. Brandon Hagel. So, first of all, yeah. Pause the Pod. Sponsored yeah. by Pause Cat Food. Go and grab Brandon Hagel. <laughs> and then, second of all, do you think that Hagel can keep this up for the rest of the season if he holds this deployment and maybe that's like a big if but i I think he will like he's been holding this deployment for a while and it's looking really good for him so yeah is brandon hagel a 70 point guy this year i honestly he's starting to convince me i mean normally i'd say well brandon hagel has four goals on his last six shots so like obviously he looks really hot but don't get carried away but i think i'm ready to get at least a little carried away hagel's shooting 20 percent this year which would normally be me saying like uh, i can't keep up but Hagel has now shot 20% over his last 100 games. He shot 10% in his first 40 career games before the last 100 games that he's played. I'm inclined to say there's a chance that Brandon Hagel is an above average shooter. Maybe that means he's not quite 20%, but 15%, but still, that's great. And I think where Hagel's at right now is he's knocking on the door of being the league's next bunting or hymen, getting top line, top power play, being a great piece of that top line i guess the concern is like sometimes he's been shuffled around a little bit through the season so that that would be something i'd be looking out for but you got to pause the pod rough rough go get brandon hagel meow and enjoy him for as long as this lasts 
And also, Brian, did we just have our Pee Wee Herman secret word of the day? You told me before that if you say bunting, <laughs> I need to go and talk about uh, Toronto players. So, okay, does that mean I have to talk about Rasmus Sandin? This was this was the test. Oh, you know, this is like a you don't know Jack. You know, you have to find the secret uh, phrase or secret clue. In one of the, anyways, people have no idea what I'm talking about. Anyways, before the show, Brian told me that when I mentioned bunting, I want you to bring up Rasmus Sandin. So, yes, let me tell you something about Rasmus Sandin, which is that He's been running the top power play on Toronto since Morgan Riley's been hurt. But in the last game, there were some power plays where they went five forwards on the power play. And it was Mitch Marner uh, running QB, I guess you can call it, at the point. So uh, just a little bit. But then it wasn't all the power plays. And it might be just because they were losing to Washington and they needed a goal to like come back, which they weren't able to get. So probably not much to read into. But I just wanted to mention it, that like Sandine obviously loses a lot of value if he's bumped off the top power play. Definitely. So just keep an eye on that situation. I'm not sure Toronto loved it, but I, at least they're trying it out, the five forward thing. Um, they did it on two separate power plays for almost three minutes combined. So it was not like a fluky singular moment. And I think just anybody rostering Rasmus Sandin, because he's the power play one quarterback, so Morgan Raleigh is back, just needs to keep a very close eye on lines in games and in practice to make sure that he's still on a top power play. Because if he isn't, He's not quite as rosterable as he would otherwise be. Okay, yeah. And uh, still on Tampa, we really disregarded Anthony Sorelli when he came back. Like, he was coming back from injury. We saw the lines. He was going to play on the third line. We thought, don't worry about him. Uh, but his goal yesterday brings him to now one goal and six assists in seven games. So seven points in seven games since coming back from injury for Anthony Sorelli. This is a guy who's playing on a line with Pat Maroon and Ross Colton, and he's not seeing any power play time. Like It's really like the type of person that I could never see myself recommending. But like at some point, if he had 20 points in 20 games, I'd probably say probably you want Sorelli. And then you'd be like, it's too late. Like ever, he's at, But anyway, I'm just curious. Like, is there anything to this? Or are you th- like, does the production speak for itself? Or uh, like, do, are we still safe to like disregard him and say that this is going to cool off? I felt safe to disregard Sorelli before. And here we are feeling foolish for, for completely. Like we really wrote him off as much as we write off anyone on the show. He had this eight-shot game, Sorelli, in his second game of the year, which is juicing his shooting numbers overall. Um, but Sorelli still looks like about as boring as usual outside that, though definitely getting some more dangerous shots than usual for whatever that's worth. But I just, I can't get excited about Anthony Sorelli, Elon. Like we've seen Ross Colton, Pat Maroon, Corey Perry, Matthew Joseph, Yanni Gord, etc. Like all these players have these brief bursts on the third line in Tampa, which is good. Like this happens, but it's not enough to make me change my mind that I want to uh, look for a permanent spot on my roster for Anthony Sorelli, maybe a short-term stream, see how long he can take this. But otherwise I feel like he's probably like a JG Pajot type. And I'd actually rather have Pajot rest of the season than Sorelli. Yeah, Pajot at least gets power play time. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I agree with you. But obviously, if he keeps this up, then maybe next week I'll have to bring him up again. We'll have to reassess. Uh, let's go to uh, an injury in Winnipeg. Blake Wheeler underwent groin surgery Friday and will be out at least a month. Uh, cl- close your ears, okay? I'm going to tell you how he got this injury. He blocked a shot, and like now he needed groin surgery, which makes me wonder like exactly where that shot was blocked. Like I don't know. It sounds very painful. He finished the game somehow. Like This guy... Okay, so I don't know. Anyways, Blake Wheeler is clearly a warrior. Um, but now he's injured for a month. By the way, on our Google Doc here where that we prepared the show, I just wrote that Blake Wheeler underwent groin surgery and it's it's like red underlined as if I spelled groin wrong, but I definitely didn't spell groin wrong. G-R-O-I-N. And then it's saying that because my dictionary is set to British English, they're suggesting it's spelled G R O I N. 
O Y N E? Is that like no. the Canadian way to no. spell groin? It's like the old English way to spell groin. <laughs> I've never. Well, Maybe. I thought that this is how you spell it. <laughs> no, no, okay. you have it. Yeah, Google's being weird today with that. But anyway, so Winnipeg is playing today without Blake Wheeler, and I didn't even write any notes because I knew they'd be playing. Uh, they're playing against uh, Seattle. They're currently in the second period. So let me go up to our trusty. Uh, frozen tools here to see what the current lines have been and so it's been sam gagne back up with pierre dubois and kyle connor and then shifley per and perfetti are playing with carson coolman okay so carson coolman is yeah. the guy taking wheeler's spot uh has he done anything who no carson? he hasn't no. i, so I add get, him to the list to, <laughs> yeah i'd add I, I coolman to the list he was claimed off waivers from seattle early last week probably oh, this is a revenge game today yeah, uh, so he's playing with Shifley and Perfetti. Coolman has never been a big producer, though, even going back to college. He's 27 years old. Uh, I, I feel like he's a he's a serviceman veteran type. But Elon, you know who else is in that Winnipeg top six? Uh, Sam Gagne. Sam Gagne. And yeah. mm-hmm. last game, goal, assist, and five shots against Vancouver on Saturday. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's not going to happen again. Five shots! Okay, I mean, I mean it was, it was against a, a completely discombobulated Vancouver team. Like they looked terrible on Saturday. I mean, I'm sure I could give you. I'm sure I could give you a list of players who have had five shot games this year. Yeah. That's, that'll be very underwhelming. But no, anyway, okay, I, yeah. I, I Sorry, I interrupted say, you talking about how Vancouver sucks. Please, continue. I'm just a little more interested in Gagne than Coolman, which is sure. more more about where I am on Coolman. But Perfetti, of course, is the headline here, right? Like he's going to be on the top power play now. Yeah, we, we can assume. So well, he's no, he a, had, today he's been on the top power play. He's cold, though, actually. Cole yeah. Perfetti, uh, no points so far today. So we'll see the game's only in the second period, like I said, versus Seattle. But he had an assist uh, versus Vancouver on Saturday. Before that, he was pointless in three straight. I guess that he, yeah, so he hasn't taken advantage of the top power play yet. The Jets' goal today was a power play goal. Shifley scored from Morrissey and PLD. So I guess Perfetti was there. But I don't know. Yeah, he's a little more interesting I would add him. Yeah, I would add Cole Perfetti if he was available in free agency, I guess I should say. Though I, I would be a bit bummed that he doesn't have Wheeler on his line anymore because Wheeler was doing so great. Yeah, but he still has like Shifley or, you know, or Pierre-Luc Dubois, if not Shifley. And I think um, like I, it, it's a chance you can take, right? Like there's an opportunity here for Perfetti. We're not sure how capable or equipped he is to take advantage of it right now, but at least add him for two or three games see what happens, and then uh, drop him with nothing nothing really ventured or gained, if uh, if I don't see. But there will be there will be stretches for him in this position where he, I think, could, could be a difference maker in a matchup. Do you think that it's possible? At one point, I was thinking that Cole Perfetti is going to be like a Calder candidate this year, but he's kind of fallen off. It seems like it might be like all goalies. Could you imagine if all the three Calder nominees are goalies? Because it's like... Logan Thompson has been really good. Kochikov on Carolina has been great. And I feel like there was another guy who I'm blanking on right now. So actually, you know what? I'm gonna take, we're going to take a quick break. When I come back, I'll remember who the third guy was that I was thinking of. Uh, and then we'll come back and talk about some more injuries and outjuries. You're listening to Keepin' Carlson. And we're back. And Brian, the third goalie I was thinking of is Stuart Skinner. So yeah, what if Skinner, Thompson, and Kochikov are our three Calder nominees? Has that ever happened before? 
That'd be pretty cool, right? Because there's no skater running away with it. Uh, Maddie Beniers was having a great run for a while, but he's cold. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Uh, so yeah, anyways, fun food for thought for people going into their their holidays here. But Brian, we've got some more injuries to get to. Uh, so I talked about Blake Wheeler. We talked about Cole Perfetti. I wanted to also mention Kyle Connor and Josh Morrissey, both riding eight-game point streaks going into today. And uh, Morrissey has an assist on Shifley's goal. Uh, you know, no points for Kyle Connor yet, but he still has a half of a game to keep it going. Josh Morrissey leads the team in points, eh? He's now, he now has 35 points in 31 games. That's Kyle crazy. Connor has 33 points. I wonder what the odds would have been if you wanted to bet on like Morrissey leading the team and scoring at the start of the year. You probably could have gotten like a hundred to one odds. Like that's unbelievable. at least like it's not a bad team either, right? Like they're, I mean, it, it, Winnipeg's been doing pretty well, and there's a lot of guys who are very capable of scoring on that roster. So jo- Josh Morrissey, we mentioned, we talked about it last week. We don't need to rehash. But Kyle Connor, uh, so, sorry, I should finish. Josh Morrissey having a monster season looks great, looks pretty legit. Um, Kyle Connor also looks pretty re- legit, and what a relief. We were worried preseason that the coaching change was going to slow Kyle Connor down. It hasn't. He's basically, uh, he's Rick Bonus's new Jason Robertson. Like, Can I throw something out there, Brian? Just yeah. a theory. Okay. If you could disagree with me. I'm going to okay. say, I don't care about coaching change. Like, you know, like uh, coaching change, and then we like read into it and see is this good or bad for the players. I feel like there were a few over the summer and none of them really turned out to be like anything to be concerned about. Yeah, we should revisit. I mean, sometimes when a defensive coach is moving, like we saw, like uh, Dallas's offense was kind of suppressed under bonus, except for that top line. Um, Yeah, but but yeah, yeah, I I agree that the effect, the effect of coaching, but you're always concerned. Like Connor has defensive holes in his game. If bonus comes in as a defense first, second and third coach, How's he going to feel? About, is Kyle right. Connor going to have to earn his A? Like, and look at Tortorella and Philly. Okay, yeah. Tortorella is the ex- exception. That's an extreme example. <laughs> he's going to bench the team's leading scorer <laughs> if they make a defensive mistake. So, yeah. If, he's, they, if they look at him the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're talking about Kevin Hayes, by the way. And we'll get to him in part two. But right now, we're still in part two of part one. We got a lot to go, Brian. So, let's get to some more injuries here. Uh, we had a couple late injuries in Saturday's game of the Vegas. Golden Knights versus the New York Islanders. So we don't know too much yet. But first, starting in Vegas, Mark Stone was apparently banged up after getting hit by a Phil Kessel shot. Uh, Here's a tweet uh, from Jesse Granger saying that the coach, Cassidy, said, I saw him after and he looked good. So that's the good news. He was able to come back and play a little bit. Wasn't 100%. Knock on wood. This is just one of those very short-term things. A stinger-type thing, for lack of a better term, but won't know until tomorrow. Well, guess what? That was tweeted yesterday on Saturday. Today is Sunday, which is tomorrow relative to Saturday. There was no new news. So unfortunately, I was hoping I'd be able to give an update here on the show, but I haven't seen anything. So I, hope, well, I guess we'll find out now tomorrow, tomorrow, Monday, if Mark Stone is hurt or not. But he's also someone who sometimes misses time, so hopefully he's okay. Um, in positive news in Vegas, Alex Petrangelo returned for the game on Saturday uh, after missing that time. Uh, he disclosed he was very like vulnerable and open about what, what was going on. I, I don't want to like you know, speak to the whole story. You should definitely read about it. But like he had a a daughter that was very sick and thankfully she's on the mend now and he feels comfortable coming to play again. So that's great for the Petrangelo family. And of course, Petrangelo came back to the top power play, picked up a power play assist on Saturday. So with Theodore out, this is like, I mean, Petrangelo was already having an amazing season and now I'm sure he'll just keep it up. Uh, Now, Daniil Maromanov, who in the short, in the stream scheme uh, special that we recorded, uh, which we recorded before I knew about Petrangelo coming back, I said that he was my ludicrous streamer defense for next week. But I obviously take that back now. I'm less excited than Maromanov now that he's no longer going to be on the top power play. It is worth stating, though, that he had points in two straight games uh, before Saturday's game was pointless on Saturday, but did take three shots and Theodore still out for a while. So Maromanov could still play on the second power play. So I don't know if, if Miramanov could take the Theodore spot, 
that's still good. So I don't know. Is there any value in him or is he just another guy we could throw on the pile of like no-name guys that we've been mentioning on this show that we're not interested in? I think you can toss Miramanov in the pile, but he is someone that I'm like, oh, for Jeff Petrie, if I do drop him. And people in the chat, by the way, are mentioning like, you know, decent blocks, sometimes hits. Like, yeah, it's still like an occasional point. I I don't know. I want more for my... And I was interested in Miramanov when he was... uh, quarterbacking the top power play mirror of a bit of his story undrafted 25 years old he's been back and forth between north america and europe a couple times already but now in his recent most recent north american stint last season with hl henderson uh, vegas's hl affiliate Miramanov had 40 points in 53 games, including 11 goals. This season so far, Miramanov had 13 points in 17 games before being called up to Vegas. So there seems to be some pretty strong offensive upside here. And if you like shots from a D spot, then you can see how long Miramanov can keep doing that over the course of the next couple games. But yeah, the points upside and one of the reasons he's on the pile of players is uh, it can't be too anything can't be anything too special off of the top power play unit. Um, that Miramanov Miramanov's production is going to be limited by that factor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then the other injury in that game, Vegas versus the Islanders, was Semyon Varlamov left in the third. Uh, also, no updates as of when I was prepping. I don't know if anyone in the chat can let me know if there's a later update about Varlamov that I haven't seen, uh, but he's. He was having a great game, right? He stopped 35 of 37 for the win. He's been having a great season also. Varlamov is up to a 919 save percentage in the 12 games he's gotten into. Last year was a down year for Varlamov, as we remember, where Sorokin really started to emerge. As a, Instead of being a tandem, it was like Sorokin was showing that he's like the much better goalie and Varlamov's just a backup. Varlamov only had a 911 save percentage last season. But yeah, 919 this year. Meanwhile, Ilya Sorokin, again, this is with goalies being impossible, right? But like Sorokin started, it's like one of the hottest goalies in the league, was looking like he'll be a Vesna candidate. He's been bad lately, unfortunately. Five losses in a row. None of those games have been quality starts. He had a couple of five goals against games in there versus Arizona and St. Louis. Is there any rhyme or reason, Brian, to the Sorokin cold streak? Are you going to tell me that he's just been bad shorthanded or something? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, should we be worried about him? Or is it just the kind of thing where, like, be worried about him like you would have been worried about Vasilevsky earlier, which means not at all and he'll be fine? Yeah, I think you don't have to worry too much about Sorokin. I will say, like, he, he's facing the most challenging workload. He's seen uh, his expected Fenwick save percentage this year is 934, which is lower than last year when it was 942. But Sorokin's good, right? It's very rare. He puts up two consecutive bad outings. Now he's had three. So I get why you're asking the question about Sorokin, Elon, but I think he still gets the benefit of the doubt here. A couple more uh, bad games from Sorokin. Maybe I'd guess he'd be playing injured. Not much you could do about that, but at least... You know, if Varlamov's out, that probably is good news for people with Sorokin. Less competition if he struggles. Can you even name, like, dear listener, or you, Elon, Hmm. I dare, like, try. I have a name. I have a name. Okay. Is it Corey Schneider? <laughs> yeah, good yeah, job. He's still there. Yeah, yeah well, I don't came know. In last he... year, I think for a game or two. Yeah, and I don't know if he would be the next call up. Um, they also have Ken Appleby and Jakob Skarik in their system. Man, uh, what's both the plan? I've Far- never heard of. Isn't Farlamov UFA after this season? Yeah, they're so gonna, maybe they I, just they sign could... like some rando. Oh yeah, they'll and... get Kevin Lankin in or something. Yeah, like they have Sorokin. They don't need to worry about this for another decade or so in all likelihood um i guess the only other theory i'll toss out there for sorokin is that by this time last year he'd made 18 appearances he's now made 21 
22 if you count making a save on Saturday night in relief for Valamov, which is like, it's not a whole lot more, but I don't know. This this is going to be the biggest workload Sorokin's ever had. We will see. We asked these questions about Shostyorkin when he was seen a big, big workload. We need to do the same for Ilya Sorokin if his workload ticks up a bit. But again, I haven't seen enough to actually be concerned. If this continues, then I think those would be the two reasons. Maybe injured, maybe tired, but he's the starter. I think that's yeah. that's all there is to it. Well, I mean, yeah, I was planning to bring him up on the show and be like, should we be thinking that Varlamov gets more starts since he's been so good lately and Sorokin's been not great? But now Varlamov's injured, and we don't know yet how serious it is. But yeah, if Varlamov is hurt, that's great, actually, for Sorokin to hopefully get into a groove and not have to worry about losing starts. Because obviously the Islanders are not a shoe-in to make the playoffs. They don't have time to just like let a goalie work things out. They need to go with the goalie that they think is going to give them the best chance to win. Uh, since we're on the Islanders... I'll just mention it. I know, Brian, like, I wrote this in the notes. Then you wrote, like, a comment being like, could you please not ask me about Brock Nelson? So I'll just mention it. Brock Nelson, still hot. Nothing new. Five points in his last three games after a goal and assist on Saturday. He's up to 33 points in 32 games. I think he's the most underrated point-per-game player in the league at this point. Like, I just feel like... I'm in conversations all the time, and people are like, oh, who should I drop, this person or Brock Nelson? Or, like, I don't know. I just feel like he's he's never considered someone that's going to keep it up, but, like, so far he has. Uh, but I won't ask you about him, Brian, as your question, because we've already done it a lot. Uh, I will bring up, though, his teammate, but not line mate, the, uh, I guess, Malkin to Nelson's Crosby in Matt Barzal, who's running a bit cold at the moment. Uh, only one point in his last four games. Seems like his shots on goal have kind of disappeared recently after he started the year taking a lot more shots than he used to. I actually just got offered. <laughs> this is like kind of like weird because I haven't decided if I'm going to take the deal yet. Now Jordan's going to listen, but I guess this is my job as a hockey podcaster. But Jordan uh, in tier one, a couple who's doing much better than me, offered me Trevor or Barzal for my Trevor Zegris who is also like not doing so amazing. I do love Zegers' off-day schedule, so I figured I'd just ask you on the show, Brian. Uh, is this Varzal cold streak something that is for sure just short-term and I should like slam accept? Or do you think that there's a reason to be concerned with Barzal? The thing I don't like about him is his line mates are always so blah. He's playing with like, Josh Bailey and like Oliver Wallstrom recently. That's no fun. Zegers is playing with Troy Terry. I don't know. Anyway, what do you think? Yeah, yeah well, the thing about Barzal's line mates, and we've mentioned this earlier in the season, is that... Um, like he's still doing as well as he ever has at five on five offensively. Like it, in terms of his on ice, uh, his, he and his teammates combined uh, expected goals rate. So that's good for Barzell, regardless of who he plays with. He's pretty consistently, although it is a little lower now than it was at the start of the season when I was getting really excited about Barzell and what he was pacing to do, which was, I think, 90 points at that point. Now Barzell is down to an 80-point pace, um, but he's still shooting only 5% compared to his usual 10, 11%. So I, I think there's room for Barzell to have more than four goals in the 32 games that he's had so far. Um, I don't love the the decreased shot totals, Elon. Like, as you mentioned, he's had just a single shot four times in his last five. Um, so, like, I'd watch for any of these concerning trends to continue. But if I'm looking at just, like, a snapshot, not the order of what of, of what of how things happened for Bar- Barzal this year, I'm looking at his numbers, and it all seems, like, pretty reasonable what he's doing. And uh, I'd say the same for Zgras, who's down at a 64-point pace right now um, and not looking good. Like, I, I will say, I, Anaheim is awful this year. I feel like, you know, the past couple of years where, like, we are hard on Montreal and Chicago and Arizona and all these teams, Columbus this year. Like, they get a lot of our attention for being at the bottom of the league. 
Anaheim should be getting it too. And they kind of just like sneak by. We forgive them because of that off-game schedule and because we don't hear much reported from them, unfortunately. They're one of the the, the lower-covered teams in the league. Um, but like Zgrass is on ice, expected goals rates, down versus last year. Um, I don't know. I, like, I don't see a whole lot of reason to feel good about anything Anaheim's doing this year. So Elon, I think if you're taking this trade, you've got to like do the long-term math and see how many extra games you get out of Zgrass compared to like what you'd get with Barzal in your lineup. Because I think right now we have a 15-point disparity between their point paces. I can see that more or less holding. Maybe it becomes a 10-point disparity at some point. Uh, but I would still, like, I think I see Barzal this season as like a reliable, good quality producer. And Zgrass, I see him similarly, but just in a place where I don't expect a whole lot of production to come. And his own performance, like his shot rates are down too. His expected goal rates are way down from last year. So I'm not liking what I'm seeing from Zgrass individually or uh, for him, for his line mates while they're on the ice together at five on five. Um, so I don't know how that makes you feel. You know, mm. I'd prefer Barzell unless the math for the extra games from an Anaheim player works out, like somehow erases that 10 to 15 point gap. Mm, there's a lot, a lot to think about here, Brian. I guess I don't have to make the decision right now, but uh, yeah, it's tough. I guess, I guess I do have to kind of do that math, but also it's just like my team isn't doing well. I need wins now. So I just, I guess I could just look at like the Shake next up three the room. weeks. Like, yeah, I'll just like look and see if like for the next three weeks, do I gain or lose games? And then... Like, maybe that would be enough for me since I need to turn things around ASAP. Uh, okay, I guess we're done with the injuries now, finally. I will mention that in this Winnipeg-Seattle game, Pierre-Luc Dubois just scored, assisted by Connor and Morrissey. So Connor did extend his point streak as well. So that'll be fun to keep track of and see if Connor and Morrissey have the longer point streak. Brian, if you recall, yesterday, I, I just wanted to uh, say that I think I gave you good advice. Because you were asking me, like, you were saying there's only one goalie to stream in today, Grubauer. And you were like, should I, like, rush to grab Grubauer? I don't remember what the exact question was. But I know my answer was, Grubauer is a very risky guy. And he, I would be very nervous streaming him in. And now he's let in two goals on 11 shots. Like, also, why isn't Winnipeg taking more shots? But that's just even worse for Grubauer now. Because it's a, he has an 8-18 save percentage on the game. So, like, Seattle, man, it stinks. Like, at one point, I was thinking Grubauer could be good. Then Martin Jones was looking good. And then Grubauer, and then Jones was doing badly as Grubauer came back. So I was thinking, like, okay, time to jump on Grubauer. At this point, it's just like, just forget it. Like, even if Grubauer is the starter, he has, like, points per game in Cupful. And, like, every goalie is, like, ha- pretty much higher than a skater, right? Like, just because they play less. So that's why we tune it that way, where on average, per game, a goalie has to be higher. Grubauer's is, like, so low. He's, like, at, like, two point something points per game. And, like, a replacement level forward is usually around, like, three and a half points per game. So he's, like well below any forward he has so many negative games today i'm sure he's negative right now like i i would i i feel like i'd be afraid to stream in grubauer for like most games as you should be he's proven unreliable but elon like i i know this is this is cold consolation to anyone but i do just want to point out grubauer uh has a 732 save percentage shorthanded all right uh, 807 Fenwick save percentage versus an expected 900. So, like, this, that's a huge, this is a massive gap between what he's doing and what's expected at sh- uh, shorthanded. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because if you look up all goalies who have played at least 200 minutes, and maybe that's a low bar, but I could raise the bar to, okay, I'm going to raise the bar. All goalies who've played at least 400 minutes, Grubauer's played 430 this season. 
He ranks third in the league in performance above expected save percentage at five on five. And Elon, I know that's crazy. I know. Samsonov leads, followed by Hallebuck, then Grubauer, Varlamov, Matt Murray, Vili Husu, Carter Hart, Kevin Lane. So, like, this is obviously not a great sample. Like, there's not a great sample for a lot of these guys to be here. But he's had, even in a small sample, an actually good season at five on five. Mm -hmm. Good for uh, him. Yeah. yeah. Both goals against today have been shorthanded. Maybe just Seattle takes too many penalties. I don't know. Whatever it is, if you're in a league that counts goals against when you're shorthanded, then you don't want Grubauer. But nice to see that he's at least holding it up at even strength. Not that it's much consolation, I'm sure, to the Kraken. No. But, I, yeah. He just, he, yeah. And, and like, he, it makes him, unfortunately, completely worthless. And I don't know. Like, this guy, like, there seems to be one thing or another wrong with the way he's played for a couple years now. I don't know That's if I true. hold my breath waiting. Like, I want to believe he can turn it around. But like you, Elon, I am at the point where I am just about done streaming him or trying to be like, okay, this is his chance because I, I need to see more. I probably won't be the first one in on him when he finally, if and when, Krubauer finally does put it together. Man, I wouldn't worry about that. Like, honestly, like, for me, like, just giving up on him as someone I like to, like, add, you know, like, you know, he could be the starter on on Seattle, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm at a point now where, like, I'm afraid to stream him. And, like, I'm not afraid to stream pretty much any goalie in the league. Like, I'll stream in Kevin Lankinen, who you said is also on this list somehow. Uh, like, you know, like, I, it reminds me of, like, Anthony Emmy in his, like, last seasons or whatever, where it was, like, guaranteed negative whenever he'd play. So, anyway. Whatever, enough about him. Let's go to uh, some outjuries now to finish off part one of this episode. So over in Minnesota, uh, Ryan Hartman returned. A lot of fanfare for a guy who ended up going to the third line. Uh, obviously, everyone was excited, hoping he would get back with Caprizov and Zuccarello, but he didn't. Sam Steele is still there. Sam Steele has been great. He has four points in his last four games going into today, and I believe Steele got more points today versus Ottawa. Yeah, a couple assists. And Minnesota's winning, like, all the time now. So I feel more confident than ever that, like, maybe eventually Hartman gets on the top line. But for now, things are going great for Minnesota. I think that Sam Steele is the guy you want over Ryan Hartman. And Ryan Hartman is probably not that useful to you in fantasy, unless unless you're in a super deep league. Had a few shots today. What is it? Three shots? A few. What am I? Amateur here? Ryan Hartman. Three shots. He played 12 minutes. He got PP2 time. So whatever. I don't know. I think think he's not big. I'm not into Brian Hartman. Or Ryan Hartman, even. What did I say? Brian Hartman. I, I think I said Ryan, but I, I probably I just slurred my words. I, I told you, I'm drinking a beer today. It's rare. Okay, yeah. And the lesson here for me, and I don't know if I'll feel the same about this lesson, but I had Sam Steele on my roster before this week. I dropped him because he wasn't doing anything, even with good deployment. A few shots. That was nice. You dropped um, him before a stream Agami week. So, oh okay, God. so here I know. So here's the lesson. That I have learned the hard way. Don't drop a guy on the top line with a stream Agami coming up, no matter how trash he was for your team when you needed him. Look, and Elon, this is something you reminded me I need to start doing more often when I'm planning my streams. Like, look ahead. Look to the the, the week past the next one just to get a sense. Because I didn't know it when I dropped Sam Steele, just how great Minnesota's guy. I, I didn't care, frankly, because he, he was as Dave would say, dead to me. Um, but uh, he's Sam Steele now doing a good job of making his case to stay on the top line and in the 11th hour too, right? Like he's had a lot of time to do well here and he hasn't. Um, but Hartman also wasn't doing well there in plenty of time. Uh, so let's just keep an eye on things. Uh, early returns are that Hartman is not going to get back up there. I know coaches don't love to let a player lose their job because they were injured, but I don't think it was ever really Hartman's job to begin with. Yeah, he had so already I, lost it before the injury. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'd go get like Sam Steele now. 
worth at least a speculative ad if you don't quite think he's arrived yet. Maybe like a like a Kirby Doc or Max Domi type from earlier this year where opportunity and upside is there, but not great peripherally, no spot guaranteed, but he's there right now and you want a guy playing on such a great line. Okay, yeah, and since we're on Minnesota, I'll just mention, <laughs> so Kirill Kaprizov up to 39 points in 30 games. That was going into today. I think, yeah, a three-point game today. So just like, uh, just, you know, skyrocketing. Matt Zuccarello, 34 points after his hat trick and one assist versus Chicago on Friday. He added another goal and assist today. Zuccarello has got to be one of the best value picks in drafts this year, right? Went for $11 in the Tier 1 Cupful auction draft. I personally spent more on guys like Zegris, Shifley, Mark Stone. Like Zuccarello's blowing these guys out of the water. Like unbelievable season for him. So and he's doing ex- he's doing exactly what he did last year too. And like we knew that there was like we looked at his number at Zuccarello's numbers last year. And I was like, I think he can do this again. But can we? Like there was still like a, a piece of disbelief in us and everyone. I drafted him in a couple leagues, and I'm thrilled that I got him, obviously, because of the way things are, are working out. But yeah, what a what a great grab. Way to go, Mats. I wonder if he can do it again. Uh, next year will be age 36 season, because he's, he's now two years in a row, age 34, age 35, doing amazing in a sustainable way. At what point are we like, well, like it's not even luck is going to run out. It's just going to be age is going to hit him. But it, yeah. we're not seeing any sign of a slowdown yet. Exactly. So it's like, I don't know, it, it would be scary to draft him like the third round next year. But at the same time, like then you'll just regret it when someone else gets I think him. I, this is not such a bold or fearless prediction. I think Matt Zuccarello is going to be a value pick again next year. Like Seems wherever like you draft him, yeah. him, he'll end up being way better than the guys drafted within 20 spots of him. Yeah, like barring like some injury that slows him down, like he seems totally fine. Uh, okay, Colorado had a couple outjuries, or at least one outjury. So, well, they had like Nichushkin, who we talked about last week. Now Evan Rodriguez is back, which isn't like that exciting in itself. Uh, but the interesting thing to me is that if you recall, Evan Rodriguez was on the top power play when he was healthy, and JT Comfer wasn't. But with Rodriguez back, Comfer stuck on the top power play, and Rodriguez is still on the second power play, which means that JT Comfer is currently on the top line with Rantanen and Lekkonen and on the top power play. So a really great spot for JT Comfer. He had no points in his last couple games, but he did take 10 shots total versus Nashville and Buffalo. Uh, meanwhile, Evan Rodriguez is playing on the second line with Nchushkin and Newhook and the second power play. He did actually pick up a goal and an assist in his two games that he's played, and he's had eight shots. So I don't know. Right? Like I guess both of these guys would be deepish streamers, but Rodriguez... Getting points, not in a great spot. He's like the Sorelli. Or you have JT Comfer, great spot. Recently not points, but still taking shots. I, I think the obvi- answer is obvious. you got to get JT Comfer if he's available for a stream, right? Yeah, anyone playing with Miko Rantanen should be, should be rostered, right? Usually it's Nathan McKinnon in Colorado. But really, beyond Rantanen, there's not a whole lot of great spots in the lineup. Like, yes, uh, Val Nachushkin is good. Can he run a line on his own with Rodriguez and Alex Newhook? I'm not sure. Um, so these are very much like I'd, I'd be interested in Comfer and to a lesser extent, Evan Rodriguez. But these are also like pile guys. Like I'd put them ahead of like Lusterinen and Denisenko and Gagne and Kuhlman. But they're like they're still sort of in that in that genre of player. Yeah, I think if it was me, I would just grab Comfer ahead of all these guys just because I love the spot. And like Ranton, we have to talk about how amazing Ranton is. But Comfer has been here before and not done anything with it. So like it's not a guarantee. That's why he's a pile guy. 
Sure, yeah. And yeah, I'm not expecting him to like give you like multi-point games or anything. But I think he's your best bet at a point in any given game ten, next week. Ten shots in his last two games is yeah. pretty awesome and, and decidedly uncomfort-like. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, let's see how, long, how much longer you can keep that up. So I want to talk about Rantanen quickly because like I will admit I was very wrong about him. Like I think it was like three or four seasons ago on keeping Carlson. And like I, th- I thought he was maybe overrated. He'd always been playing with McKinnon. I remember there was like one time McKinnon got hurt for like whatever, a few weeks and Rantanen's production slowed down. And I was like, I don't know, maybe Rantanen's just been like benefiting from like, you know, playing with McKinnon so much. Maybe he's not like an above point per game guy on his own. Anyway, that's like old news and definitely wrong because Ranton is amazing. Like McKinnon has been injured and Ranton has been better than ever. His goal versus Nashville brought him to eight goals in his last nine games. The dude took eight shots versus Buffalo. Like Miko Ranton's never really been known as like a big, like goal scorer and shooter. I almost wonder if like maybe he could be, but he's always played with Nathan McKinnon. So he's just deferring to Nathan McKinnon and passing to him and not taking as many shots. Like I wonder if Ranton like was a full time, you know, on a different team or if McKinnon got traded or was injured for the year. I wonder if Ranson could be like a 50 goal guy. Like he just seems like he's so great and he's like totally readjusting to life without Nathan McKinnon and producing better than ever. It's amazing. He's so good. And let's just clarify it. Like maybe uh, readjust the way we're talking about him. Cause he's like you said, you don't think of him as a big shooter. He's taken three and a half shots per game the two seasons before this one. And it's taken close to that already this season, but it is really neat to see Ranton and step that aspect of his game up a notch with McKinnon out. And I, uh, yeah, I'm thrilled to see just how far he, like, it's exciting to see how far he can go. There was always that question about how much of it was him and McKinnon. We sort of, we did warm to Ranton and being like really good on his own, regardless, because there's some time that he played away from McKinnon or Landeskog and on his own. But uh, now we get to see, I guess, just how awesome he could be. And it could be a really exciting I don't know. What is it? Another three, four weeks till McKinnon is back for Rantanen managers. Yeah. And not to say it's going to be like bad news when McKinnon comes back, but it's just like cool to see that it's not like hurting him. Sometimes you worry that like, you know, if you have a line mate that's a superstar and then they get injured. Anyways, blah, blah, blah. Rantanen's fine. Uh, okay. One more outjury here. Let's go to Detroit where Jakob Verana has skated. He hasn't played yet. Uh, he played the first two games of the season, scored once, added an assist, was looking good, then went into the NHL player assistance program. I'd imagine he'll need some time, but I, I'd also imagine he'll be back somewhat soon, right? Like maybe in January at the latest. Uh, so Detroit could definitely use him. Like all the big names in Detroit are cold. Like they just haven't been scoring. Like Dylan Larkin, only one goal, no assists in his last six games. Kuba League has totally fallen off. He had an assist versus Ottawa yesterday, which ended a four-game pointless streak. Philip Hironik had a four-game pointless streak also that ended with his power play goal versus Ottawa, which was, was by the way, a five-on-three. So if you think like, oh, he's back, like, you know, if you watched it, it was like they were for sure going to score. Then uh, Lucas Raymond had an assist on Saturday, but that ended a three-game pointless streak. And Raymond is now pacing for only 46 points on the year. So he basically hasn't been rosterable. You're just keeping him because you're hoping he could be better. Moritz Sider has just been cold all year, pointless in three, 12 points in 30 games overall. So Brian, like aside from Larkin, who we know will be fine, want to just quickly like go through these other guys, Kubali, Koronik, Raymond, Sider. Are there any of them that you think are going to bounce back? Or are we like in snoozer territory for all these guys? Well, let's start at the team level for Detroit. Um, 
this is a moment where I'm going to mention how bad Nashville was this week. I had their whole top line. They played four games. I thought it was in great shape. And uh, the, the Preds scored five goals over their four games. And uh, one of the reasons I lost this week. But Detroit has not been much better. They have seven goals in their last five games. They've only scored twice in 19 power play chances, too, during this run. The team is shooting uh, less than 6%. So, you know, I'm not going to start picking apart Red Wings players too badly when, you know, the whole team is in a shooting percentage funk. At the same time, uh, these lines that they ran Saturday against Ottawa are really weirding me out. Uh, Dominic Kubalik on a line with Soder- Elmer Soderblom and Joe Valeno. Then you find Dylan Larkin playing with Lucas Raymond and Andrew Kopp, and David Perron playing with Michael Rasmussen and Jonathan Berggren, who's been doing pretty well, by the way, as a rookie, like a decent stream. Yeah. He had a good streak before. Now he's cold, just like the rest of yeah. them. Yeah, but like just bizarre. Like so, you have Kubalik and Perron nowhere, basically on the depth chart. You've got Andrew Kopp up on the top line with Larkin and Raymond. Of course, the Red Wings lost six three, so maybe this will all change again by the time they play again, but it it's weird. Uh, I don't know what's going to come next for Detroit. Clearly they're trying new and different things. One name that I'll, I'll dig into that you mentioned, Elon, is uh, Lucas Raymond, who's 46% rostered on Yahoo and only on a 46-point pace. He's not on the top power play unit. That's right. Andrew Kopp, Kubalik, Perron are joining Dylan Larkin there. Um, and I'm not sure. Raymond deserves much better than he's gotten, despite how many people still apparently believe in Lucas Raymond. The upside is there, and he's actually currently rostered by the uh, one of, like, the four out of 600 remaining, uh, four remaining undefeated teams in the whole kickupful. Uh, the one in my division, Nate, uh, a.k.a. the T-Bay Flyers, is rostering Lucas Raymond, but I think it's still winning, so way to go, Nate. But I think Raymond's snoozing. He's been with Larkin all year uh, and just not very exciting. Like, uh, again, upside, present, Execution, not. And then Philip Ronick and, and Moritz Sider, still both doing pretty decently. Uh, Kubalik uh, was kind of cold coming into this snap already. Four points in seven games, that wasn't great. Though he is, uh, he was taking four shots per game, so that's pretty good. Uh, but now Kubalik has just five shots in his last five games and is teetering on becoming a snoozer again, which is when Dominique Kubalik is his most dangerous. This is the Kubalik quandary that we often get caught up in. Uh, so look, there's not a lot to love about what we're seeing in Detroit right now outside of Dylan Larkin, and I'll say Hronik and Moritz Sider. Uh, I guess David Perron's doing okay. But wait for the team to start scoring more goals before you make any final decisions. But even when they do, I think Lucas Raymond is a snoozer and you want to be keeping a very close watch on Dominic Kubalik. Right. Okay. Yeah. I guess we had similar advice when St. Louis wasn't doing anything. You said, wait for the whole team to turn around. And now they've got a bunch of guys on hot streaks. So hopefully we won't be waiting long for the Red Wings. At least, uh, you know, short shifts Lewis is probably hoping that as a Wings fan. But okay, Brian, this has been a blast going through the injuries and outdoors. We still got a bunch of hot streaks and cold streaks we want to get to. So we're gonna do that in part two of this episode of Keeping Carlson. So everyone uh, sit tight. Hopefully all your episodes are now downloading properly into your podcast feeds. You should have Part two, waiting for you right now. We've got a lot of fun guys we're going to talk about. We're going to go to LA to talk about their new starting goalie. We're going to go to Boston. We're going to talk about how Shane Goss is bare. Taylor Hall have like, you know, made their careers better about how like Kevin Hayes is getting scratched. So we've got a lot of fun guys to talk about. All right, so we'll get to all of it very soon. So enjoy part two and we'll talk to you soon.